Era podcast. Research matters. Education for our planet and for our future. Climate change is arguably the most pressing educational imperative of modern times. Yet, in our universities and communities, it remains relatively under-discussed. This series attempts to redress that balance, featuring contributions from across and beyond the field of education that address how pupils, educators, and educational researchers are currently responding and should respond to our climate crisis. Hello, welcome to the Beer Podcast. My name is Kevin Smith. I'm a senior lecturer in education at Cardiff University, and I'm also a member of Beer Council representing Beer members in Wales. And today, I'm excited to be the host for this episode of the Beer Podcast. In January of this year, I had the opportunity to edit a special edition of the Beer blog called Education for Our Planet and Our Future, and it contained a series of posts focusing on education, educational research, and our current climate crisis. Today, we'll be hearing from two authors of one of those posts, Catherine Dunn and Jack Reed from the University of Edinburgh. Hi, Catherine and Jack. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having us. Hey, Kevin. Great to be here. So before we get started, would you mind just introducing yourselves a bit and telling us about you and your work? Sure. Yeah. So so my name is Jack Reed, and I've just finished an MSc in outdoor education at the University of Edinburgh. And I'm starting a, a PhD researching the influence of mobile devices and social media on the transfer of learning in residential outdoor experiences in October, which I'm super, super excited um, to get started about. What am I interested in? Well, I'm interested in how social theory can act as a lens to interpret our educational experiences. And of course, I'm also clearly interested in the climate crisis and how education can be a vehicle for critical climate engagement. Hobby-wise, I am um, a very keen cyclist. Thoroughly enjoy road cycling, mountain biking. So when I'm away from the laptop, away from the books, then you'll certainly find me somewhere on two wheels. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> sounds like a lot of fun. And how about you, Catherine? Yeah, I'm. Uh, well, I'm also a uh, recently graduated uh, MSc outdoor education student from the University of Edinburgh. Particularly interested in digital storytelling and filmmaking and how that can be used in in research around education to better disseminate experiences that are otherwise harder to, to translate. I'm also very interested clearly in place-based education and where that sits within the climate crisis. And my master's thesis is also a continuing interest to me, the research topic around young girls in physical activity and adventurous activities and how the drop-off or how there is a drop-off between primary and secondary education in girls being active um, and being adventurous. Currently, I'm working as a filmmaker, and at the minute, I'm working with the Adventure Syndicate um, on their latest feature film, which is all about sustainable living and adventure, which is really exciting. And other than that, yeah, I guess you'll also find me on two wheels cycling around, uh, around, <laughs> often looking for a good hammock spot. <laughs> nice. Wow, you guys, uh, you guys, a lot of really interesting stuff going on. That sounds great. So if we could turn our attention to the blog, the title of your post that you submitted was Dear Oak, Becoming More Place Responsive in the Climate and Ecological Crisis. Yeah. The title especially kind of caught my imagination because I thought, Dear Oak, what's what's this all about? So can you kind of walk us through your inspiration for the post and how it came about? Sure. So in terms of the, the kind of content of the post, clearly the, the oak tree was was at the heart of that. And ultimately, that was as a, a result of a visceral educational experience with an oak tree. Now, that oak tree is currently living up in the Cairngorms uh, in the Scottish Highlands. 
And we visited the oak tree for the first time back in November 2018. And it was there that we really felt like, or I felt like, that I had a, a kind of real deep kind of educational disruption to the way that I viewed the world. And ultimately, the blog post was was a, a way in which we wanted to to kind of share that experience with other people because we felt like it was really important uh, for us. But I think the blog post was also trying to share what our kind of MSC did for us in terms of what we've kind of decided is is something called ecological awakening um, and the kind of awareness of what ecology is, uh, but not only what ecology is, but actually how important it is for our daily lives. And so over the 15 months of our MSC programme, there was certainly a sense that there was an ecological awakening within us. And ultimately that then led into the kind of climate action that we discussed in the blog post. But also, I think there's something to be said for um, a place responsive pedagogy, which is what, we again, we discussed in the blog, specifically referenced Mannion, Fenwick and Lynch's paper on place responsive, uh, place responsive pedagogy. And I think that that's, that's something that's really important to, to think about in terms of the way that we assemble people, place and purposeful activities in education. And it was those purposeful or that purposeful bringing together of specifically people in place that we felt like we really wanted to share and what gave us inspiration for the blog post. Right, okay. And I think as well, the the narrative approach there that we use at the start of the blog post is a particularly important side of of what we were talking about because, you know, the Deer Oak activity was a storytelling activity, really. So, and stories are are such an important way of educating and, and a really important way of connecting abstract concepts and complex ideas. So, for instance, the climate crisis, connecting them to real world experiences and really making them more tangible and, and easy to understand and interpret as as learners. Sure, yeah. It, it reminds me a lot of, of, of Freire's approach, his dialogic and dialectical approach, and, and this idea of sharing and building and, you know, sometimes having contradicting ideas that lead us to new understandings. That just kind of picked up on, on that whole kind of notion for me of, of um, education as disruption almost and, and feeling like in these spaces and places having these kind of disruptive experiences what impact that that ultimately had for, for us as, as learners. Um, and it really did have a, a pretty profound impact in terms of disrupting the status quo, which, which yeah, is, is pretty exciting. Which is, and I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because that was really, I was, was going to ask you about next was the, this educational disruption. And when the blog was uh, posted because of that narrative introduction that you guys had, that was, it was a disruptive influence in the blog in a very positive way. I'm a big fan of positive disruption, but it did kind of reattenuate like me as I'm looking through the posts because it, it stood out with that kind of uh, storying feature to it. So when you're talking about educational disruption, was that a purposeful aim in going to visit the oak or did that just kind of happen spontaneously was it an unexpected thing well uh, yeah i think it was really unexpected so to kind of give context to that educational experience we were staying at a residential outdoor learning center um up in the up in the highlands and just one morning we woke up um, and just went for a walk with our cohort and, and with the educator that was with us and we, or it certainly felt like we just happened upon this really old oak tree. And this old oak tree was in a pine forest. It really looked like it did not belong. And so we just kind of were drawn to this oak tree in, in, a, in a really kind of odd way. And before we knew it, we were all sat around a, a circle with the oak tree. And we're just kind of taking in that, that kind of sense of, of nature as, as kin almost, which, which really was so unexpected and, and so 
we certainly didn't go into that experience. I don't think, I'm not sure what you think, Catherine, but I didn't go into that experience thinking that this was going to be a disruptive experience and, and a positive disruptive experience. No, and I think the way that it was set up as well by our facilitator, Professor Robbie Nickel, who um, is still working on the programme at the University of Edinburgh, the way he set up that experience was not in a way that we could have predicted what was going to happen. And he certainly made it seem incredibly organic uh, to the point where, you know, only, uh, you know, six months later when he said that was completely planned and completely intentional, did we even... (laughs) (laughs) You're like, what? (laughs) Literally, yeah. So the, uh, you know, and and as I was reading through the blog, what was fascinating to me about it was this sense of acknowledging the tree as as more than just how we typically think about trees as pieces of a of a landscape that sometimes are off in the distance or not objects that we te- typically interact with in a way beyond just treating it as an object mm-hmm. um but by addressing it dear oak and by saying that the, the oak has taught you things i mean it treats it more like a subject doesn't it so was that it was that part of that process as well of of deobjectivizing the world, so to speak, and, and understanding it more in kind of subjective terms? Yeah, 100%. Um, and I think that it's something that we've, we've spoken about is actually having the oak tree as part of the learning community. And so we weren't necessarily learning with the oak tree or, or kind of through the oak tree, but the oak tree was was a part of us in, in, in many ways. And it really did feel like whilst we were humans and, and the oak tree is an oak tree, there was a, a, a real kind of bringing together of, of of something that you just can't quite put your finger on, I think. But ultimately, I think that was recognising that the oak tree was part of this community and that through writing to the oak tree, um, we almost felt like the oak tree was writing back to us and it's given us so much in terms of the way that we now kind of go out and kind of interact with the world and interact with the environment and, and recognising just how interconnected we as humans are to these natural spaces, places, objects, um, which I think is, is really, really important. Mm. And I'm wondering, um, and I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but this kind of just popped into my head. And so I'm wondering, like when hearing you guys talk about this, it, it, there, it's clear that you have moved from a, a objective, subjective kind of contradiction and, 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 and are seeing things more in kind of like horizontal relationships rather than vertical power relationships. Others might not, and they might have a kind of cynical response. They might think, oh, you know, a a, a tree is just a tree. You're making too much out of this. You're personifying things or you're anthropomorphizing non-human entities, trees, animals, creatures. What's your response to to people who might have maybe skepticism at the best, uh, a form of cynicism at the worst? What's your response to people who go, aren't you guys taking this a bit too far? I suppose in many ways we're using the oak tree as a symbol of of a perspective that we should all be taking. And and rather than, you know, consciously anthropomorphizing something and turning it into sort of a caricature of some human, bizarre human qualities, we're trying to, in many ways, we're trying to see things from the oak tree's perspective and, you know, not necessarily, obviously we bring human qualities to that because that's, you know, an innate part of what humans do. But I guess what we were always trying to do is see beyond that and really take our own consciousness and, you know, move beyond that human-centric value within it and and try and see something from from a more than human perspective 
and uh, like people will criticize it and, and I think also some people just won't relate to it and that's fine you know it's not it's not an approach that's going to work for everybody but for a lot of people who are really disconnected from nature or, or are very operate on a very singular sort of plane of perspective then um then it can be a real eye-opener and you know we saw it for for many people on the program who they went through this experience of writing to an oak tree and and trying to you know gauge a response from the oak tree and and it really changed them in a, in a really profound way wow yeah and and i think that that kind of profound change whether it's something they expect, you know, like obviously uh, your mentor who was planning this, he he expected great things coming from it or else he wouldn't have, uh, have taken you guys out there. And then you as participants kind of not knowing what to expect, but having that disruption. And then Jack, earlier you mentioned this kind of ecological awakening, but I imagine for some folks, it was also an awakening in terms of, of just trying to perceive the world differently. And uh, when we do that and get a positive response from that, then that tends to inform our action in the future. And in, in the blog, you use the term climate action. So I was wondering if you guys could unpack that term for us. And what do you, what does climate action mean to you? How has this Dear Oak experience informed your climate action? Yeah, I think that the, the oak tree really kind of started that process in terms of, of, of wanting to take more conscious climate action um, and ultimately then the, the MSC program itself then developed that into something that, that we felt like we could kind of run with but I think for me at least climate action can sometimes kind of be put on a bit of a pedestal and, and is, is something that again receives criticism and cynicism but I think for me climate action is is something that we can all do in our day-to-day lives and whether it be something as simple as, for instance, for us as, as keen cyclists, being able to cycle to the shops instead of getting in the car or taking those, those real kind of choices, I guess, that, that do make a difference. And there's that cliche that gets banded around that if we all just did, did a few little bits and pieces for, for the climate, then it would make a difference. And I think that that sometimes kind of gets, gets shot down, unfortunately. And I think that actually, you know what, if we did all take um, a, a small action then we would see these these kind of things change, which I think is really, really important. But I think also in the, the blog post, especially, we talk about bolder climate action, and we talk about bolder climate action in relation to our higher education institution. And so for us, we, we really did look into how the University of Edinburgh was approaching the climate crisis, and it is a lot better than some other universities out there for certain. But then we looked at other aspects of, of, of what they're doing and everything else, and we kind of thought, well, actually, why can't we be bolder? Why can't we take these steps now to make real difference to our future lives? And so I guess climate action, it, it is inherently subjective um, and it can be bold, it can be in day-to-day life, but as long as it's something that you can, that you can do to, to make a small difference, then I think that that really is the, the kind of critical point, really. Mm. Do you have anything to add, Catherine? I was going to say, I just think... Uh... Really, for us, it was just about asking for more and whether that be in a big or a small way, whether that be from ourselves, from the people around us or from from the institutions that we uh, that we're studying at or, you know, from the people that we're working with. I just I just think it's just about asking for more. If you're not pushing yourself and others around you, then there's a real tendency to stagnate. And especially with an issue uh, like the climate and ecological crisis, there, there is no time to stagnate. So, um, yeah, just mm-hmm. asking for more. Yeah, in fact, uh, I was thinking too. Uh, just as you were, you were talking about this, this sense of stagnation that pre-COVID, 
I, I, it was difficult for me to realize what parts of my life, quote unquote, were stagnating, or at least were in a sense of pause. Uh-huh. And then COVID happens and we're all reacting in a lot of different ways. But some people saw this as a, as an opportunity then kind of to examine where they might have been caught up in a moment of pause or stagnated, particularly in terms of climate action. And, and so I think it's, it's interesting that until we're faced with a crisis, we, we tend not to really think about our relationship to the environment, our relationships to each other, those kinds of things. Yeah. And I think that, that ultimately, when we look at the, the kind of COVID-19 crisis, I think that it, it really is just a, a painful poke in the eye in the, in the kind of context of thinking about what the future is going to look like in terms of the climate. And it was just so hardening to, to, to kind of see people getting out on their bikes and being more active and, and, and taking note of what is in their local spaces and places. And I think that if nothing else, whilst the coronavirus crisis has been horrific for so many reasons, I think that it has shown us that, do you know what, when we need to, we can take action and it can be enjoyable. You know, um, I've got out and walked around my local area far more than perhaps I I would have done in the past. And Mm. it's taking note of what's around us that really does make you realize just how valuable our natural spaces and places are. And when they're gone, they're gone. It, it really yeah. is simple, I guess. So with the, it, you guys talked about this, uh, a place responsive approach in, in the blog. And, and obviously this was an outdoor experience, but I'm wondering if you could tell me to what extent did place-based and outdoor learning uh, contribute to your engagement in climate action? And in particular in the climate action that you're involved in, in higher education? Yeah, I think I think for me anyway, uh, just touching on something I mentioned earlier, it was just about shifting pers- my perspective away from just this purely human direction that you know we're all unconsciously sort of taught to take um, in a lot of our formal education, and just moving in towards a, a more holistic and rounded way of thinking, and placing us as humans in a much broader context um, as part of our environment and not as separate from it. So I guess uh, in that sense, that's uh, inspired um, this just bigger thinking um, and thinking about, as I mentioned, how we can be asking for bigger uh, and bolder change um, and asking for more from from people around us. Yeah, and and I think actually through receiving this this kind of place based experience, I for, I for one really got a, a, a far greater appreciation of just how interconnected we are with, with the natural landscape and how the actions we take on a day-to-day basis do have a profound impact on our uh, natural spaces and places. But there's also something to be said, I think, for this notion of interdisciplinarity, which, of course, we might think about in terms of like a research context. But for us, it was the, the kind of merging together of, of different academic disciplines, whether it be geography, history, uh, history ecology, but how in a, in a kind of outdoor space, all of these things come together as, as kind of one cohesive bubble of, of an educational experience. And so I think seeing just how, it, how interconnected we are really did spark that, that want to, to take part in some kind of climate engagement or climate action. And, and I think for me, that, that really was what the oak tree kind of taught me was, was that we are so interconnected. Um, and it was that interconnection that really kind of fosters a, 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 a wish to take action, I guess. 
So and you, you bring up another really interesting point when you talk about interdisciplinarity. Of course, that is also reliant upon the, the people that we're engaging with and the members of that learning community. So in, in what ways or, or what were the roles, what, what role did the learning community play in the development of your climate action? Yeah, um, well, I, th- I personally think it was huge. Um, the community that we were um, with in um, and, and with the oak tree really was so powerful. Um, so the community that we were with was was highly diverse. Um, there was lots of cultures uh, that, that came together in that space. So there really was students quite literally from, from all over the world. And so that really did kind of enhance the learning experience. And so when all these different perspectives sort of came together and then we had these organic discussions in and around the oak tree, um, again, that really kind of gave, or, or I guess amplifies the, the educational experience and really gave kind of an extra meaning to, 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 to what it was to be with that oak tree and with those people specifically. It, re- it really was a, a profound experience with those people, um, which I think mm. is important. And also having the the opportunity to see, for instance, the oak tree as a member of the community, um, and you know that that maybe criticised as we were talking about earlier is um, anthropomorphizing nature, but you know having having a, a part of a part of the natural world as part of the community, and also acknowledging that it's not it's it's completely different. You know, it's it's a, adds to the diversity of the community and the diversity of perspective. It's not a human perspective, but mm. an important part of the learning community and. And it's something which you can draw on as, you know, as a perspective that moves your climate action, I suppose, into just a more holistic way of thinking and uh, using it as a tool to to argue your case in many ways. That's, uh, that's, it's interesting to, to hear you guys talk about this, this, this idea of community and that it also includes a, a, a broader a deeper consideration of place and and what is in this ecology, our local ecologies, so to speak. And I and I can hear what you're telling me from what you've learned from the experience overall. And Jack, you kind of alluded to what the oak tree taught you kind of specifically, but I'm wondering if you guys could tell me in terms of just through your interactions with the oak tree, what did the oak tree teach you? Yeah. Um, well, I think that there's kind of three primary things that the, the, the oak tree taught me specifically, which was lessons of empathy. So not only empathizing with nature, which I think can, can sometimes be a little bit of a dangerous perspective to take, but actually empathizing with the, the people that I was with around, um, around the oak tree and also empathizing with, with myself in some ways and kind of being able to, to kind of have a deeper understanding of, of me and, and who I am and, and how I interact with nature was, was something that the oak tree definitely taught me. But I think that there was also something to, to kind of say for trust um, and, and kind of having trust again in the community and trust with and for the oak tree and, and trust in myself that I can make a difference and, and that the difference I make will probably be very, very small, but it will be a difference nonetheless, I hope. And, and so it really was having trust in myself and others. Um, and third, I think, just a, a deeper understanding of nature and our place within it um, and recognising that we are a part of nature and that we need this perspective um, if we really are to start taking more meaningful climate action. So so I think ultimately the oak tree was a, a genuinely transformative experience for me and one that still drives and guides my climate action today. 
I'd, uh, I'd second what Jack said there, but also, yeah, just to add to that, I think it, it taught me uh, just to look beyond my own perspective, ultimately to acknowledge my position in the natural world and to acknowledge nature's fragility as human fragility and to be kind. That's so true. Now, earlier, Catherine, you mentioned you were a filmmaker. And I've seen that you guys have also produced a short film on the subject. Can you kind of walk me through the process of how that film came to be? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I think, as I mentioned earlier, storytelling is a really powerful way of um, of educating and also of disseminating educative experiences that are otherwise quite difficult to translate. So this came about because when we sat around that oak tree uh, two years ago now, yeah. <laughs> two years ago now, and when we had that educational experience, uh, we captured um, the writing that we did as poetry. And there were a few different groups who did it uh, because the cohort was quite big that year. So, so we ended up with having these two really wonderful poems which captured uh, such a diverse and rich experience of, of uh, 40 people's experience of sitting around this oak tree. And, you know, such was the, the, the power of the experience to, to us as a group that we wanted to take it further. And there was a lot of conversation about how we could do that. And I've always been a really big believer in the power of film and digital storytelling, uh, as I mentioned earlier. So, so I put this idea to a, a group of people and to Professor Robbie Nichol, who was the educator of the experience. People, people seemed keen. So um, <laughs> uh, six months later or so, I think it was. Yeah, uh, Or was it October, November time, I think. We went back up to the Cairngorm, to the oak tree, uh, which has subsequently um, failed to flower. So we think it may be finally... Um, finally uh, giving in but we went up to this oak tree for for a final time and we sat around it once more and I was really keen to to capture people talking you know saying this poem to camera with the oak tree in the background as just sort of demonstrating like a physical representation of this community and having it in like a phased way so in in the first half you have people talking to the camera with the oak tree in the background and then for the second part, you have people talking to the oak tree, looking at the oak tree as a sort of um, a conversation going on. Mm-hmm. And the third part was something that we we crafted after the experience, which is talking about continuing in this sort of narrative form as if we're writing to the oak tree, but talking about how we've brought the oak tree with us into our, our everyday lives. So the idea then was to was to capture people, you know, doing what they do in their everyday life, but but in their mind, having this thought around how the oak tree is still with them, uh, whether that be in their work, in their hobbies, in their day-to-day lives, in their studies. Yeah, so there's, I suppose there's three parts to it. And and, and I suppose that the, the film and the editing, the editing element of it allows you to really communicate the visceral nature of the experience, because that's ultimately what's lacking in a lot of and a lot of research around outdoor education and place-based experiences is you can't communicate the visceral nature of the experience. But, you know, by by using various techniques and just, just adding a, a music track in the background and really focusing in on people's faces and, and the oak tree, you can you can really communicate that visceral experience. Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to, to play a brief clip from the film and then afterwards just ask you uh, to kind of unpack that little soundbite for us. Great. Dear Oak, how are you and why are you in the state that you are in? How did you get here? Did you have a big family? How many others live and thrive because of you? How do you wish this forest looked? What changes have you seen in all the years you've stood here? 
How many people have you seen? How many kings, queens, prime ministers have come and gone since you started your life? Who's your favorite visitor? Are you going to take me on an adventure where the wild things live? Welcome to my home. Let's go for a walk. Can I see the magic? Come to me and I tell you a secret. Where or what are you pointing at? Can you hear me? Wise woman, I see you, I hear you, I feel you. I am the last standing. Don't be afraid to stand alone. Strength is shown in different ways. I'm glad that you're still here. I think you're quite a special tree. I admire you and I respect your power. Okay, well, that was really interesting. So can you kind of tell us about what we just listened to? Absolutely, yeah. So so what you just listened to there was the, the first part of the film, which was uh, constructed through one of the poems that, that Catherine discussed. So what you couldn't see was that the, the voices are talking to camera there and the oak tree is in the background. And you'll note that in the blog post itself, we actually use this poem narrative to kind of introduce the oak as well. So for instance, things like, dear oak, how are you? I'm glad you're still here. And things like, I think you're quite a special tree. All these kind of little nuanced aspects were were individual sentences written by people, essentially. And as you would have heard, I finish um, that specific one with, I'm sorry, which was what I actually wrote to the oak tree um, initially, because that really was how I felt in that space. So, So I guess what you're listening to is, a lot of different people's perspectives in just individual lines. And when blended together, it creates a a cohesive narrative that ultimately captures that feeling of being there with the oak tree and the thoughts and the feelings that emerge as a result of being there with it. Do you have anything you'd like to add to that, Catherine? I guess what was really important about, especially about that first, the first half of the film, that was the original narratives that we wrote without having any idea that they were ever going to be taken into into a film format or taken into research. And they really just represent a really organic engagement with the natural world. And, and often, often, I think anyway, that's the kind of engagement that you have in your mind, but you don't necessarily voice. You know, as you're walking through a forest, you may see a really peculiar looking oak tree in the middle of a forest of really straight pines. And you may think, oh, wow, you know, that, that's an interesting looking tree. I wonder how it got there. But giving voice to that, especially collective voice in this instance, just, yeah, just gave voice to that experience and allowed it to be to be more. But I think, you know, it's so easy to get caught up in our everyday lives that to stop and to consider something as taken for granted as a tree but if we take the time to really approach it in a right kind of way we can discover so much more about the world ourselves each other and i don't want to kind of raise this into some kind of symbolic or kind of airy fairy thing but i I really do think that purposeful opportunities to sit down to try and stretch our understanding we miss those aspects so much in our lives that it's good to just kind of slow down put ourselves in different places, allow ourselves to think in different ways and to to see what kind of wisdom we can gain from those experiences. 100%. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, so I, true. I think it's the distinction between a, a human being and a human doing, isn't it? Well, Catherine and Jack, I really appreciate you guys taking part in the Bureau podcast today. I, I It was a really great conversation. Do you have any closing remarks or anything you'd like to say to the audience before we go? No, well, I'm just, just that it's, it's been really nice to chat and, and that, yeah, maybe the oak tree can uh, inform someone else's perspective out there too. Yeah, maybe if we can encourage one person to go out into the local forest and 
sit in front of a tree, then uh, then our job is a good one. <laughs> yeah, all right. That's it. That's everyone's job. Sometime over the next few days, we need to go out, find a tree, sit down, and have some reflection and contemplation. Right. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Beera Podcast. For the latest news on Beera events and activities, visit www.beera.ac.uk. You can read the Beera blog at www.beera.ac.uk forward slash blog.